Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. We're now in our series called Journey of the Redeemed. It's a study in the book of Luke, and as we explore the life of Jesus, we also examine our own journeys shaped by him. Okay, everyone here in the room, all of us watching online, hello. Wherever you are, I want you to think about all the things that you can feel. Think about where your feet are on the floor, or if you're laying down at home. I know some of you are sleeping. It's fine. If you are sitting in the pew, how does that feel? The wood on your fingers, the cushion that you're sitting on. Think about the temperature in the room and how it feels to your skin. Sorry if it's hot or cold in here. It is a cold day today. I want you to think about everything around, like how your clothes feel on your body. Is the, are things irritating? Are they comfortable? Are they calming you? I have to say that I choose a lot of things based on touch. So now that it's chilly outside, I've got my favorite fuzzy blanket. Sloths. I happen to like sloths. And my mom knows this. So even though I'm 44 years old, my mom gave me a blanket. And I love it. And then I just feel comforted. I've got this very soothing. You'll see me sitting at home at night on the couch. I'm very snuggly in my blanket. Other people try to steal it from me. So then Kaylin has to have her own blanket. I also put on my fuzzy slippers. Um, my child bought these for me. Everyone knows I'm very tactile. I just like soft things. And I even like petting a soft bunny in our house. So we own a pet. My daughter has a, a rabbit named Willow. And she is the softest animal I've ever touched in my life. So I'm very excited that we have given it to her as a pet. I, she like snuggles up in a soft blanket, like soft things, like soft things. I said this was like her senior picture. I just look over, I'm like, she's totally posed. I have to take this photo. And anyway, it's, she doesn't like to be picked up, sad face. But I will sacrifice and sit on the floor with her because, oh, just, I just pet her. I read somewhere that like blood pressure goes down when you pet a bunny. Like I got this. I can do this. Okay. So soft things are in my life. I'm very tactile. I like crunchy foods. In the summer, I love to swim because it's just like the feel of the water around me. And you know what? I love hugs. Okay. I'm not a handshake person. We've talked about this. I love hugs. I love that vaccines and masks give me the ability to hug people again. Free hugs right here. Okay. I'm very excited for hugs and I'm not alone. A study published in April of 2021 in the journal Frontiers in Psychology looked at the effect that positive touch has on other people. And there's been other studies and this just supported the other findings. And they did an experiment where they had people hold a hand of a loved one and then they were given shocks, which is always a great science experiment. But then other people were, were in the same situation, but their loved one was just sitting there, but not touching them. And then the third group was like their loved one was in the next room. And they found that the anxiety that these shocks brought on was like calmed because of holding the hand of someone else, that positive touch. Other studies have shown that physical and cognitive development in young infants happens because of caring, loving touch. And 
other elderly patients with dementia, that loving touch can bring a responsiveness, a calmness, an awareness to their lives. And finally, they have done studies since COVID-19 came into our lives because they realized there was this thing called touch hunger. And so many of us have experienced it this past year and a half and two years. How long are we in this now? Lots of us have experienced this, even in normal times, not being able to see people and have that physical touch can be so difficult. But there was just a lot larger population that they could study during this time. And the University of California, Berkeley, found out that there were just a lot more people being affected by greater stress, anxiety, loneliness, lower quality sleep, reduced satisfaction in romantic relationships, all because of these extended restrictions without touch. The Berkeley study also noted my preference. They said that a quick handshake doesn't actually help that touch hunger. You need something more meaningful. See, told you handshakes are weird. Okay. Two weeks ago, the sense of touch was in the news again because two people won the Nobel Prize because they studied touch. They said it's the last sensory item that had really not gotten into the molecular study of it because, you know, smell, you know where that comes from. Sight, you know where that comes from. Touch is all over. And so they just said they really could not narrow down and identify touch. So these studies were just groundbreaking. One of the guys, I'm going to say their names here. We've got Dr. David Julius and Dr. Artem Patapushin. They had done research independently. And I really like Dr. Patapushin because his team in La Jolla, California, they would poke individual cells with this tiny pipette. And they would try to see how the cells, individual cells were reacting. And they kept trying to remove different things and remove a different protein and see if the cells responded or not. So they could finally narrow down which one made the cells stop responding. And by isolating that ion, they just thought that they were trying to figure out how touch was reacting. But they realized, okay, if these cells are reacting, these cells are internal, not just our external touch. And they said the way the cells are responding to touch affects blood pressure, bladder function, how our stomachs enlarge and shrink as we eat, and it could give us insight to associate with pain that comes from a damaged nervous system. And this guy was like, I didn't start out. I just kind of wanted to figure out touch. And he found all these different ways. And I was fascinated because I'm like, oh, I'm so into like tactile touch externally And my insides are doing the same thing. I thought that was so amazing. But all this talk of touch, I'm sure you figured out, is leading us somewhere today. We're going to look at two miracles that Jesus did. It involves touch and feeling. To recap where we are, if you want to head to Luke chapter 5, that's where we'll end up today. To recap, we are in our journey of the redeemed. We have watched Jesus begin his ministry. First, he was baptized by his cousin John. Then he went out and fasted in the desert for 40 days. He's done miracles where he's healed people from demons and illnesses. He also has been teaching in the synagogues and messing with people's minds, basically. He's showing that God's grace is wide and huge and bigger than anybody anticipated. Kind of 
bigger than what they actually want. And along the way, we have had our own challenges. We've had some challenges every week. We're challenged to do good, to RSVP, to listen to the voice that's true, to choose God's better plan, and to drop everything when Jesus calls. I have to tell you, every week I'm just like, oh, there's like this like key thing. And God's been building on this. And I'm just like, well, thanks, God. You've, you've, you've been doing a thing. And I didn't even notice. Look at the way we're building our lives in response to Jesus' journey. So let's head to Luke chapter 5. And we're going to look at verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Let's check back to our map to see where Jesus is at this time, because it says he's in one of the towns. But the story we read last week where he called out to Simon, he was in a boat on the lake of Gennesaret, which is also called the Sea of Galilee. And that's where we are in Israel. You see it's circled there. That's the Sea of Galilee. So he's in one of these surrounding towns. We've talked about Capernaum, but there's some others around. So basically Jesus is traveling around this region in order to teach. And we have this man who came along. Now it says he was in one of the towns. So this is going to be important because it says this man came to Jesus. There was this thing. There was this thing because of this physical condition. And leprosy, there's different debates about what exactly the skin condition was. But in Leviticus chapters 13 and 14, if you ever want to read it, maybe it's good for like the Halloween season. There's a lot of great descriptions about skin diseases. There's details about how the priest should examine people. There's a lot of things I didn't want to read that I read this week. So I'm not going to read it to you right now. But go for it. Go for it sometime. So basically, they're just examining what people have going on on their skin. It's a very physical issue, right? And so the deal is, you quarantine. You, you, you isolate yourself until you are healed so that you are not spreading it to others. We all understand this concept now very clearly. But so this physical disease had many restrictions. However, socially, the religious leaders of the day were like, those rules aren't good enough. We just kind of need some little bit more space here. They're like, you can't even come inside the city now. That's a different kind of isolation. There was still some community being put in place in scripture, but the leaders were like, well, we would like extra, extra. And so this man would have been very isolated. Like, don't even come into town. So the fact that he's risking coming into town and approaching Jesus, that's a big, big deal. But also in this restriction, the Pharisees even said, you shouldn't even purchase food on the street where a person with leprosy happened to walk by. Like that is how far out and spread they are trying to isolate people. That is so painful. They're like, you should stay. Something was written down six feet away. We've got that. An even greater distance if the wind is blowing. And some rabbis even said, if someone's too close, you can throw stones at them. What? These are human beings. This is someone who didn't ask to receive a disease. And yet this is how they were socially isolated. You have physical pain. You have social isolation. And then the worst part was this physical condition made them ceremonially unclean. 
which means they could not go worship in the temple. And while, yes, that's a safety issue, think about that. Think about that. Like, when you, we couldn't see one another and couldn't come into church, that felt, that felt something different, didn't it? It felt isolating in a spiritual sense. But especially because this guy was like, he was the one having to do it on his own. Maybe there was other people with leprosy around. I don't know. Maybe he was the only one in town. Very isolating, physically, socially, spiritually. When he comes to Jesus, he, people might have seen the physical need, but Jesus saw something more. And so Jesus' response, verse 13, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Do you grasp how huge this was? Jesus spoke earlier and said, demons go away from this person. He spoke to Peter's mother-in-law and said, fever be gone. But this man, he could have said something. He could have been like, leprosy go away. What did the man need? He needed, he needed touch. Jesus said, I am willing. And you know what that willingness also said? The man was like, are you willing to be even near me? Because I'm unclean. So if Jesus were to approach this man, guess what? Jesus becomes unclean too. Jesus said, I'm willing to become unclean for you. And it wasn't against the law. Jesus wasn't breaking the law to touch someone with leprosy. It just would have given him an inconvenience, maybe for some time, to be unclean too. But Jesus was willing He knew that that sense of social healing, that sense of spiritual healing involved a lot more than just his physical pain. Now, also, if this man had gone into town, then Jesus' healing was kind of protecting everybody and kind of putting him back into the social setting, if you see. Jesus sent a very clear message because Jesus was willing to be a part of this man's social, spiritual, and community life. He was staying close. Let's move on to verse 14. Then Jesus ordered the man, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest. Offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing, and that will be a testimony. Yet the news about the man spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear and to be healed of all their sicknesses. So Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So this is interesting because part of the requirements in Leviticus was like, if you are healed from this disease, that's why you're like, not really sure how sometimes we have the leprosy may not have been terminal. It may have been this temporary situation. You have to isolate for so many days. You would have to make sacrifices. And then finally you go to the priest and he's like, you're good. You can come worship again. There was this whole process. So Jesus is sending him off to do that. But perhaps he was also sending the priest a message, like, look at what's happening in your town. There's something new going on in this area. There's something special, miraculous going on here. There's a supernatural event. But Jesus said, don't tell anyone. And maybe he was trying to be like, just go, just get, get, get healed or, you know, get approved. You're going forward. But then you saw what happened as a result, like, Well, everybody started to find out. And maybe, like we said, maybe he was the only man in town with leprosy. So 
people noticed. Or maybe he was like, I couldn't hold it in. I just got really excited. I had to tell everybody that I was healed. We're not sure. But you saw that then Jesus had to keep pulling back himself. He didn't really want to pull back, but it's like the more crowds that came. We said that Jesus had this mission and that he needed to go places and to do certain things. And I'm sure it was so hard, we, as we said before, to look people in the eye and be like, I've, I've got to go on. And so maybe I'm telling the guy, like, please, please kind of keep it low-key for now. I, I'm not ready for the crowds. I'm still trying to fit this one-on-one interaction with people. So I don't know. Maybe Jesus did that in order to be like, to protect his own heart to have to keep saying, I want to help you, but I've, I've got to keep going. So then we come to verse 17, and we've got a whole new miracle. There's a whole other day here. We've got Jesus teaching. And now we've got Pharisees. So we're going to talk about them. As we keep reading in Luke, we're going to see that the religious leaders are the ones who have, you know, they have the knowledge. They have the wisdom. But they also have been taking it upon themselves a little too highly. That's what we read about in Luke. Is that it's okay to lead, but their leadership turned from humbly serving God to feeling like, I've got some kind of power here. And they... We're using that power and that status in a way that was not following God's plan. And so they're always going to keep bumping up against Jesus because Jesus keeps preaching this wider grace and they've really tried to narrow it in. So it helps them feel special. So we've got some Pharisees and teachers of the law and it says they had come, verse 17, from every village in Galilee, that whole box that we looked at, like this whole region, they had gathered to follow Jesus, not because they wanted to follow Jesus, because they wanted to critique Jesus. And it says the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. So again, we're noting this isn't Jesus doing something out of his own human power, but was God's spirit. So the Pharisees, they showed up, and this is their point, is they were like, who is preaching about the kingdom of God here, and why is he saying something different than what we've been telling people? Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a mat. He tried to take him into the house, so now we realize Jesus is in a house surrounded by all these people. They tried to take him into the house, but they could not find a way because of the crowd. So they went up on the roof and lowered him through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. There's many people who've tried to depict this, and I really like this artist's work. He's a French artist, and this painting was done somewhere between 1886 and 1896. His name is James Tussauds. If you could click on the photo for me, that would be awesome. And so we can kind of imagine, do you see the way he's coming down? I know it's a little dark here, but... If you see the religious leaders gathered around, I like that this painting emphasizes that. And you can see how nice the house is because the tiles, that's going to tell us something. If the roof is made of tiles, then this is a nicer home. This is someone who is wealthier. So we can imagine, I'm sorry my microphone keeps slipping today. If we can imagine that we've got not only the religious leaders, but they're in a very wealthy home. So it's got, these are people of influence in their town, or they think they have influence. They're the ones that are higher up in society gathered here. And so you might imagine that they're like, we're here to talk, probably debate with Jesus. And people are outside, like the miracle workers inside. Let's get in. And they're like, nope, 
not coming in my house. So these guys get creative. These friends are like, that's fine. Uh, we want our friend to be healed, so we're going to make a way and go on to the roof. And I can just, can you imagine, do you have those friends in your life? Do you have those friends in your life where you're like, I'm going through something, and they're like, I don't care, we'll figure it out. Do you know the people in your life who would go on a roof for you, who could totally, totally be like, I don't care, I can take a risk. And it says in verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Look at that first sentence. Jesus saw their faith. Not just the one guy coming down on a mat in front of him. Whose faith is he seeing? Seeing the faith of all the friends who went up on a roof in the first place who dug the tiles off the roof, who struggled and lowered their friend down from this hole in the ceiling. He saw their faith. They believed that could be done. They believed that they wanted goodness and wholeness for their friend. But see, then Jesus says, he's talking about forgiving sins. And do you think if for a moment the friends were like, wait a minute, We were looking for, like, physical healing. It's kind of not the thing we were looking for. Because the Pharisees are thinking something, but maybe the friends are like, oops, did did we go to the wrong guy? Like, we thought this was, like, the healing guy. But Jesus spoke, and he responded to the questions that were in the minds of others. Verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your hearts? He's looking at the Pharisees, the leaders the religious people of the day. Jesus says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. I like how a historian and commentary author, Richard B. Vinson, explain this. I really liked it. So we're going to read his exact quote here. So he's like, Jesus always liked to throw out these things to the religious leaders. And he's like, theologically saying, get up and walk is easier than your sins are forgiven because it doesn't claim to speak for God. But practically, your sins are forgiven is easier to say because none can tell what God has actually done right on the inside of somebody until judgment day But get up and walk, well, that has an immediate effect, right? You either see it or you don't. We are to conclude that the one implies the other. That Jesus' ability to heal the paralytic shows that he is a true prophet, able to speak on behalf of God's forgiveness. Healing and forgiving are part of his commission. That's what we keep seeing, that like Jesus, he does care. I I don't want us to... to ever overlook that. Jesus cares about our pain. He cares about physical things. He cares that we have bills to pay and work to do, and we don't feel great doing it. But he cares internally, too. He cares about all the things that we might hide from other people. He cares about wanting the best for us, And that's both external and internal. 
So he looked at this man and he saw his external needs and everybody could see that. But what was going on internally? Jesus wanted everyone to know that he cared about that too. And that he had the ability to care about that too. That he was like, I do care about healing you on the inside and I'm the one that can do it. I am. Immediately, the man stood in front of them, verse 25, took what he had been lying on, went home praising God. Everyone was amazed. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. So before we had Jesus reaching out and touching in that physical sense to the man with leprosy, now think about the physical sensations that this guy is feeling again, maybe for the first time. We don't know if he was born without the ability to walk or had an injury. His feet could touch the ground again. He could feel like his legs brushing up against one another. He could kick in the air if he wanted. Think about all the physical sensations that came into his life in this moment. Now with each miracle, Jesus has several intentions. I say they are threefold. Number one, he helped the person in need be seen externally and internally, like we just said. When Jesus interacted with a life, he cared about the person. But number two, he also connected that person back into community, right? That's why he sent the man with leprosy to go to the priest. Go be, show yourself so you can get back in community. He gave this man a chance to walk back to his friends. He's putting people back connected. But number three, he's always strategic, and sending a message to those who are watching. And so he's always demonstrating that God's love is wider than people are expecting. It's broader. It involves people that you don't like, but God loves them too. Jesus is, keeps trying to spread people's minds wider than they can comprehend. Make no mistake. Jesus subverted the culture of the day. And when he did things intentionally, they had meaning to all. Our focus today has been on touch. So we said we have all these challenges every week. So how do we live as the redeemed people of Jesus? I say we reach out. It's, it's a lot of times it's easy to be like, well, I'm in need and I want other people to notice. And I just tell you sometimes it's just hard. I hope people notice. But sometimes you have to be the one to reach out like the man went up to Jesus and just be like, can you help me? Are you willing? And I know it stinks because it's like I want people to notice when I have a need and come see me, right? I don't want to have to say it out loud. But every once in a while, we have to be the ones to reach out and say, I need, I need a hug. I, I need someone with me. I need someone to just be present with me in my suffering. Sometimes we have to spell it out for people. I know, it's tricky, it's hard. But sometimes people are like, I want to help, but I don't know how. So if you speak up, they can respond. The other way that we can reach out is I think that even though we all have our own needs and we might need time to heal ourselves, we're called to reach out to help others. No one is disqualified from that calling. I think if there's a need in our life to reach out, even though we might be the ones who have been hurting. And in fact, because we have been hurting, if we have gone through an experience, 
We need to be the ones to reach out because someone else out there has a similar story. And they need to know that it's possible to survive. So you might be thinking, well, I don't know how. How do I have the capability to reach out? Just be present. Be present and share your story, and that's going to matter. God gives you an experience in order for you to give in to other people. We have been reaching out. We have been isolated for so long. And sometimes we see a need and we see a friend over here and we're like, I want to reach out on behalf of them, but I feel useless. I don't know that I have the resources. Well, the guy who had friends who dug on a roof for him, they didn't have the ability to heal him, but they found someone who did. There's so many of us here who have experiences and knowledge and resources, and we can reach out to one another to help other people. I don't have all the knowledge, but I, my favorite thing is to introduce one of you to someone else in the same room to be like, did you know this? Did you know this person has this skill? Did you know this person's gone through the same thing you have? I don't have a lot of resources, but I know a lot of people. And that's my favorite thing to do. And sometimes when you reach out, that's what you're doing. You're connecting to people who didn't know each other before, and they can help each other. These are all different ways that we get to reach out. And finally, well, I was just going to say I was going to promote our Facebook group. We do have a, a, a Echo Church private Facebook group. And some people have gone on there to be like, hey, does anybody know this? Has anyone had this experience? Does anyone know who I can call to fix this in my house? And other people respond. It's a great community way. Come see me afterward if you're not part of that group and you want to be. It's a great way to connect with one another. And finally, the final way that we can reach out is to just take that risk. Reach out even when it seems like there might be a dead end before you. The guys reached out and ripped tiles off the roof. They reached out and lowered their friend before Jesus. It looked like they couldn't find a way, but they reached out. That's what we can do for one another. It doesn't have to be complex. Sometimes we feel like, well, if I'm going to minister on behalf of Jesus, right? That doesn't that seem so large? It's just about being present. It's about looking at someone else, noticing them, seeing them for who they are created in God's image. Just reach out. It might be a simple hand on someone's shoulder that changes their day, that shows the love of Jesus in a way that you couldn't do before. It's very simple. Simply reach out this week. Look around for ways that you can reach out. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that every time you reached out, you did so in a way that that spoke to people's needs that they couldn't even articulate before you. We thank you for demonstrating that simple actions and simple presence can make can make a world of healing in people's lives. You've given us that ability. We can reach out. We can be present. We can sit by someone. We can give a hug. We can just say, how are you and how can I help? Our simple actions, Lord, you can take and make into beautiful healing. Thank you for giving us the ability to reach out. And we thank you for reaching out to us as God come to earth. In your name we pray. Amen.
Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.